Oh God, Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son by your Spirit into the world to come and find us lost sinners. We thank you that you, by your Spirit, have called us through the Son and restored us back to you, Father. So show us in your word what you have for us today, that we might be strengthened in faith and encouraged for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you're wondering why you're standing up and sitting down a lot today, <laughs> it's because in Christian worship tradition, so nothing says you have to, but in Christian liturgical worship tradition is if there is a hymn text, hymn verse, that invokes the Trinitarian name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then out of reverence stand, just like we do for the gospel reading being the words and deeds of our Savior Jesus. You don't have to. But that's if you're wondering, why are there always triangles and why are we standing up? That's why. So being Trinity Sunday, we're singing more hymns that, that uh, have that text that talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, today we're also starting what's going to carry us through for a sermon series through the summer into September. And I'm kind of uh, quite actually quite excited for a lot of the different stories we're going to look at this summer. The theme is this. Never heard that one before. Sometimes you've said that with a joke or uh, something maybe you were supposed to know. Have you ever said that with a Bible story? Have you heard a strange Bible story and you're like, ah, is that in there? I never heard that one before. So I tried to go uh, back through most of them are Old Testament stories because, you know, two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament. There's a lot there. There's a lot of things I don't know in there still. Are there uh, some stories that we haven't gotten to that maybe you haven't heard or certainly haven't heard someone preach on, or I know that I haven't, and are there ones in there that are in some ways deeply buried gold that would tell us something wonderful about God and the good news of the gospel, but in a way we just haven't heard before because we haven't heard the story before. So that's my hope this summer is to get off of the, the biblical beaten path, get into the weeds a bit. And hopefully, uh, now some of you might know all of them, good for you, uh, A plus gold star. Uh, I still, most of them I know I haven't preached on. So at least you haven't heard me preach on them. I know I can say that. But today we're looking at Abraham. Now certainly well-known person, patriarch, major figure in the Bible. And there's probably some stories about Abraham you know but I wonder how many of us knew the one that was read today. Let me recap the highlights. God calls Abraham. Remember, Tower of Babel, all languages are confused, people disperse. And since uh, sin entered the world, people are just unkind and hateful and, and murderous to each other in so many ways. And God says, out of all of this chaos, I will still come and save. And he does it by calling one person and making one family through whom one to bless all. So the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, go from your country, from your kindred, your father's house, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, so that I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So he promises 75-year-old Abraham and Sarai, who have no children, and she's past childbearing years, that they're going to have not just a child, an heir, but a great nation. 
And then wait, what, what does Abraham do? He goes to Egypt because there's very few verses later. He says, there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt, Egypt to sojourn there. They always had food because of the Nile. And for the famine was severe. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you're beautiful. And when the Egyptians will see you, they'll say, this is his wife. They're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. So uh, tell them that you're my sister. Has anyone else tried this before? How, tell me, guys, tell me how it went for you. <laughs> so I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you knew this story on some level before? Abraham passing out, oh good, good number of you. Passing off his wife as his sister, like, okay, husband fail in, in many ways here. But before that, God makes two outrageous promises to Abraham and to Sarah. You heard one of them. It's descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And the second is verse 7 further on. But then God, over the coming chapters, makes the promise over and over again. But it's this. Uh, Verse 7, he says, To your offspring I will give this land, the land of Canaan, where Israel is today. So God makes two outrageous promises to an old man and an old, barren woman, Abraham and Sarah. One is descendants. Abraham's 75, she's 65. They, they thought, you know, that passed them by, not going to happen. Uh, and land, good land. And there's already people in the land, so how are we going to have that? And he doesn't have a land. He's, he's far away up in the north, and God says, just pack up and, and trust me, I'll lead you. So two Wild promises that God makes to Abraham and Sarah are descendants and land or uh, geography and genealogy. So God makes this extraordinary promise that this old couple is going to have a child, an heir who's going to become a great nation, as big as, uh, later on he says, the dust of the earth or the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And then it says a little later, it says that Abraham believes God. He believes it. And then he struggles to believe it. God makes these wild promises, and Abraham believes, and it says it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believes God, and then he struggles to believe. Could this really be true? He struggles to to trust God. He struggles to obey what God was asking of him. And so if you follow from Genesis 12... The story of Abraham starts, the chapters, next number of chapters, after God makes these wild, extraordinary promises to Abraham, it is almost a comedy of errors of Abraham trying to mess up those promises. It really is. And if you were watching uh, it as a, as a movie, you'd be yelling at your screen at time, Abraham, no, you can't do that. Remember the promises God made. Well, the first was what I just read. God calls Abraham and says, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world, and I'm going to make your name great and give you children and a land. And and then they go to Egypt, and then he gives his wife away. Puts the whole promise in jeopardy, right? Because he's afraid. They're going to kill me. Oh, no. Uh, Say you're my sister. And then she's taken into Pharaoh's court, and and the whole thing's in jeopardy. And and you and I are sitting and are thinking, Abraham, what are you thinking? Okay, a chapter later, Genesis 13. Abraham has a nephew, Lot, whose father died. So I think Abraham sees himself as caring for him. But they were were quite wealthy. They had 
In those days, wealth looked like big flocks and herds and many people that worked for you. And so Abraham and Lot had both had that, and then there was some trouble between their, their workers with their flocks, and they needed to, to separate. And remember, God gave Abraham the promise of this land. God's promises in the Bible aren't pie in the sky like cartoon heaven of harps and clouds and boring. That They are earthy. They are, I am the resurrection and the life you will bodily rise. Jesus is bodily risen from the dead. We will bodily rise. God makes real life promises, dying real flesh and blood and forgiving real sins of yours and mine. And so God gives a real promise to Abraham for this land, the land of Canaan, where Israel is today. And then Abraham says, oh, we got to separate a lot. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know, take whatever land you want. No, Abraham, you can't do that. God promised you this land. And he looks at the Jordan and says, you know, there's land east of the Jordan, land west of the Jordan, whatever you want, Lot. Like flip a coin. And if you're reading through, it's like a coin flip away from all of God's promises breaking down because, Abraham, what are you thinking? And then follow Genesis 13, 14. Number, a lot of things happen with Abraham seeming to take one step in trust and then another step in fear. And then you get to Genesis 20. We read some of that. Again, he goes to another area and then pulls the same, she's my sister thing. And yet God has made these promises. I'm going to give you descendants and land, and yet there still is no children, no Isaac, And Abraham's trust is fragile, and his fear is large. So Abraham tries, in some sense it looks like he's trying over and over again to screw up God's promises to him. Maybe not on purpose, but out of fear. And Abraham seems to go back and forth between acting in faith and acting in fear, vacillating between trusting God and trying to save his own back. Or maybe just not thinking, or maybe just being afraid. And yet this whole time, God is the one who makes promises, we say covenant with Abraham, but it's not a two-way contract. It's not uh, God says, I hold up my end of the bargain. Abraham, you got to do this. God doesn't do that. It's a one-way promise. God says, I will do this for you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Because God loves all people and wants them all to come to know him. And so God wants to save all people, wants to repair his world, repair his relationship with them, and he chooses Abraham to start that story of his people with. But remember, Abraham, Genesis tells us, was 75 when God came and gave him these promises. He was 75, and Isaac was born when Abraham was 100. Can you imagine if God made it? You were certain God made a promise to you, and you're thinking, like, next week it's going to come true, and it's not true for 25 years? Abraham was 75 when God promised him an heir and a son who would then not just be one son, but become a great nation. He had to wait 25 years for this promise to come true. Except Abraham didn't really wait, or he didn't wait well. 
You see, God didn't fulfill the promise soon enough, so Abraham tries to speed God up a bit. Tries to play God's cards for him or or force his hand or or at least uh, be helpful to God and try to make God's plan happen ahead of schedule. Have you and I ever tried that? First, Abraham tells God that Eliezer, one of his workers, one of his servants, will be his heir. And God says, no, no, Abraham, no. You're going to have a son. But then more years went by. And then Sarah, his wife, second, convinced Abraham to have a child with his servant, Hagar. And that child is Ishmael. And, and again, we'd say, Abraham, what are you thinking? And it's almost as if over and over again, Abraham says, okay, God, you got me out of this jam. Thanks. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Wake up the next day. He does it again, right? And the more I look at the story of Abraham, it seems to me uh, after we're done pulling our hair out, saying, what were you thinking to Abraham over and over and over again? If you stop long enough to look in the mirror, you might see yourself. I wonder how many of us feel like your life, your faith life, vacillates between fear and faith depending on the day or depending on the moment. I wonder how often does your life feel like, yes, God, I trust you. No, God, I'm not sure or I'm afraid. God, I know you're there. I know you're faithful. You've been faithful to me in the past. Now I'm not sure. And I'm not sure I, I, better, I better take things into my own hands. I, I better help you along, God. I, be, I better speed up your promises and your process. God, I know you promised to, to take care of me. I know I can trust you with, with my future and with my money and with my security. But, uh, okay, maybe, maybe not. Or maybe I'm afraid. Or, God, I, I know your will in my relationships and what your will is for me. And I trust you, but, but I'm lonely and don't want him to leave me even though he doesn't treat me as you would have me, God, but I'm afraid. I wonder how many of us deep down are not all that different than Abraham. We know the extraordinary promises that God has made to, to us, and yet deep down our fears and insecurity suddenly seem larger than a man risen from the dead. You see, Abraham's greatest feat was simply trusting God. And it says, Abraham trusted God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say, the Bible does not say that Abraham's greatest feat of faith faith was not messing up. Abraham is not known to us and in the pages of the scriptures because he didn't mess up. He did, obviously. Abraham's greatest feat was trusting that God was trustworthy, especially when he messed up. Or especially when he acted out of fear and out of faith. And Abraham's life of faith looked much like a zigzag path of obedience, alternating faith and fear depending on the moment. And it was not Abraham's goodness, but it was God's promises that would save him and save you and me. You see, the promise that God makes to Abraham that he says over and over again throughout the next chapters is that through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. 
through you. That's a promise of the coming Messiah of Jesus that one day God would send. That through one family, starting with Abraham, God is going to bless all peoples, bring a way back to the Father. It's the Father sending the Son into the world by the Spirit to live, die, rise for us, to reclaim us and bring us back home to the Father. You see, Jesus is the promised one who, yes, forgives your and my zigzaggy paths of discipleship where one moment you trust God and another you fall. Jesus is the crucified God who you might look at bleeding and dying and think, Jesus, what are you you thinking? And Jesus is thinking that he loves you. And Jesus is your good shepherd then who leads you with his crucified, scarred, healed, and risen hands. And guess what? When you fail Jesus, he forgives you. And when you trust him, he leads you. And you'll see that it's actually worth it and far better to trust and to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard. Just ask Abraham. The hardest thing God asked of him was later, but that's, that's the well-known story, so we're not talking about that one today. When your life and your faith seem to wind back and forth, trusting and fearing, fearing and trusting, it's God's fulfilled promise to Abraham, your Savior Jesus, is always there, will always be there to forgive you, to encourage you, and to lead you.